So it's really, it's incredible what, you know, what your body can do in that relatively short period of time. You're listening to Good Is In The Details. I'm your host, Gwendolyn Dolsky, and this is the podcast where we learn what we didn't know we didn't know in the spirit of Socrates. And for this episode, I'm going solo. This is part of the How Do You Maternity series. My guest is a good friend of mine, Dr. Jenna Kravitz. She is a neuropsychologist and businesswoman extraordinaire. We've known each other for many years, and I reached out to her because she had twins, and I thought that this would be a perfect addition to How Do You Maternity. She also opened up at the very beginning of this conversation about a previous pregnancy, and I'm really, really grateful. I love these open conversations, these candid discussions, because pregnancy and maternity, it's a journey. It's a medical journey. It's an emotional journey. And I really, really believe that more conversations like this will be extremely helpful, not just to women, but to family members, to the medical community, and also to employers. I think it's good for everyone. If you also have a maternity story, please reach out. Good is in the details pod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear it. I really want to create a space to have these kinds of conversations. I think that they are just helpful, delightful, informative. I like all of it. So without further ado, here is Dr. Jenna. So I actually have had previous pregnancies before my kids. And well, one, that was a really hard one too, because that was a medically complex one that um, ended up having to be terminated to save my life. And in a quick turnaround determining like what to do with this. And I was married at the time and it wasn't like we were trying, but we weren't not trying. I didn't even know I was pregnant, to be honest. It was one of those things where I just thought something's wrong. Like I'm constipated, I'm gaining weight, I'm I'm nauseous. And I thought it was Crohn's related. And I took a pregnancy test eventually and realized, oh my God, it's positive. I had just graduated with my doctoral degree and finished internship on the other side of you know, the country and come back after being gone for a year. And so I'd been back for like, I don't know, two months at that point. And I'd stopped birth control right when I moved back here. So I went to my OB for like my first, you know, ultrasound. And I, on the way out had said, Hey, by the way, I haven't had a bowel movement in like 23 days. Like I have Crohn's disease. So constipation is welcome because I go to the bathroom so often. Right. So I just happened to mention it and he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, like I assume, is that okay? Cause I read in what to expect when you're expecting that constipation is normal in your first trimester. So I wasn't really freaking out about it. And he was like, yeah, no, that's not normal. So he then sent me from his office to a GI doctor that I didn't know because my GI had moved across the country. So I was looking for a new Crohn's doctor at the time, but I didn't have one yet. So he's like, go see this guy. So I went to his office from there. That guy saw me, did a rectal exam, was like, you don't even have stool in your rectum. Something's very wrong. From there, sent me to a colorectal surgeon all in the same day. Mm-hmm. And the surgeon was like, I think you have a blockage because I don't feel anything, but you're very bloated and you're obviously pregnant. It was about seven weeks along. I went home and they said, well, we need to do a CT, but you're pregnant. And so we can't do a CT scan, but we need to know if there's a blockage because that would determine whether you can actually carry this pregnancy. And basically my whole team that saw me that day ended up meeting with like the ethics committee at the hospital and trying to figure out what to do with me. It came to the conclusion that, you know, I should have some imaging to see what was going on. And so we did the imaging the next day 
and there was a full stricture, like a full blockage of my colon. And they basically said, if you don't have this surgically removed, you're going to die of toxicity and the baby's not going to make it. So you're going to have to have a DNC because we have to remove a large part of your colon. And so I went in the next morning for a DNC. And then the next morning after that, I was taken in for emergency surgery to remove the first part of my colon, like the first big surgery I'd had. And I didn't even have like a chance to grieve. Like it was like, I don't know. Like, I don't, so like it happened so long ago. It was like 2000. So how old were you? And is it okay if we just start, if we just start with that? Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. No, of course. Okay. Good Lord. I mean, so wait, so how old were you? I was 27 at the time. I'd been married for a couple of years. I was 27 and I was excited to be pregnant. I had never been pregnant before. And so it happened easily. It happened quickly and uh, we were excited and then, you know, went to the doctor and, and I think at the time they told me I was measuring like six or seven weeks, but there wasn't a very strong heartbeat. So they weren't sure it was going to be a viable pregnancy, but you know, they weren't quite sure because my periods were irregular. So they weren't quite sure how far along I was. And so it was like anyone's best guess. But, you know, at that point, because I'd clearly had a stricture, like something was blocked at that point, they chose to prioritize my health over the fetus's health and, and put me through some imaging to, to see what was wrong and, and make those, you know, emergent decisions. So as soon as, so wait, you find out that you're pregnant and then within the same day you're saying, and by the way, I'm not going to the bathroom. Right. Like, and oh, so, by the way, like when I'm at my first ultrasound. So you find out you're pregnant and then you find out that you can no longer be pregnant to save your life. So what is the time span? Is it a day? Is it two days? Well, so I found out I was pregnant and then it was probably, maybe I went to the doctor like four or five days later, um, whenever they could get me in. Right. So it wasn't right away. I remember there was like a weekend in between. I went to the doctor early in the morning and then he sent me by lunchtime. I was at a GI office and by afternoon, I was at a colorectal surgeon's office. So it was all in the same day that I had oh. gone from doctor to doctor to doctor. And then a decision was made that evening um, with an ethics committee. And I got a call at like 11 o'clock at night to come in. We're going to do some imaging. Uh, we're going to try to be as safe as we can, but we need to know why it is you're not going. That was the next day. And then by that afternoon, they were like, no, you can't live like this. You know, you can become toxic. And so then the decision was made to terminate the pregnancy and not by me necessarily. I mean, they asked me, obviously they asked me like, you know, how are you feeling about it? But it wasn't like mm-hmm. a choice because the choice wasn't, you can keep the pregnancy and have the surgery. The choice was, you know, there was no choice. You cannot have both. And one of them could potentially hurt you in the long term. Did you know that was a possibility since you had Crohn's? No, it never crossed my mind. No. Oh my goodness. And it was a fluke. When did it hit you? When did you grieve? Um, That surgery was really complicated and I ended up having an infection afterwards. And so that hospital stay was three weeks long when it should have been maybe like five days. You know, I think that it probably was like easily six weeks later when things calmed down and I was home. And I remember we had put together, like my former husband and I had put together a basket of baby things to tell my mom at the time, this cute, like little, you know, little baby things in a basket with a card picture of the ultrasound, like congratulations kind of thing, which probably was too premature to do, but we were just so excited. Right. Mm -hmm. And I saw it in my mom's house. I think that was the first time, like it hit me that, you know, I didn't, I never grieved about that. 
And then, well, let's, let's fast forward to then, how did you get to the point where you started IVF? Because of this experience, what were the doctor's notes then that you could actually be pregnant? Like, yeah, is I there mean, anything that they had? To, were you closely monitored then? And how did that work? So after they removed the first part of my colon, which was my sigmoid colon, I was healthy. I mean, I, I felt fine and my Crohn's was well-managed and they basically said, you should have no problems getting pregnant again. Like we didn't do anything that would prevent you from getting pregnant again or carrying a full-term pregnancy. In fact, a lot of women with IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, are healthier when they're pregnant. Your body produces sort of like a natural steroid which is like a natural anti-inflammatory for your body. Even now my GI doctor likes to joke, like when I don't feel well, he's like, any chance you can have another baby? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was actually really healthy during my pregnancies. They kind of said to me, you should have no problem. So I figured that I would take a little time and get better. And because I had a wound infection from that surgery, it took a long time for my incision across my belly to heal. So I didn't want to try and get pregnant again until that was completely closed. I waited about a year and then we started trying again and nothing happened and nothing happened and nothing happened. After months of that, we, you know, sought out a fertility doctor. We started with inseminations and they had said, well, there's no reason that we know of. I mean, I was 28 years old. There was no reason why I should have been infertile. You know, my egg count was good and all my labs were fine. And so they called it sort of this undefined infertility, this vague sort of BS term they give to people when they're like, yeah, we don't know why. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I went through five rounds of insemination and it starts getting costly, like all the meds and the procedures, you know, we weren't in a position in our lives where we were making that much, you know, yet we're young and it didn't work. And so we decided that we wanted to be more aggressive about it before we ran out of money. We started doing more tests and my ex-husband was really big on doing pre-genetic testing on the embryos. He really wanted to make sure that we had healthy embryos. He was concerned about, you know, my genetics with my health conditions. Not that he wasn't concerned about his, but there were just known things in my genetics. And so we went through some rounds of in vitro and none of them had worked at that point. And at that point, one of the doctors had suggested that the scar tissue from that surgery that I'd had was potentially sort of wrapped around the tubes, restricting things from getting from place to place uh, naturally. So that in vitro would be a much, you know, much better way to try than insemination if the tubes were blocked or something like that. So ask, ask you something really fast. I'm just wondering at what point in your life, like what is your job? What is your career at this time when you've got this whole world going on and you're trying to do it? Yeah, no, that's a good question. All right. So let's go back. So when I got pregnant. The first time I was in my fellowship in geriatric neuropsychology Mm -hmm. (laughs) at UCLA. So I was in the midst of my fellowship. I just started my fellowship and I went in for this emergency surgery, like in the middle of it, came out, continued on with my fellowship. That's like a two year commitment. So I was 27 at the time. I just turned 27. So it was 26, 27, you know, and then once I had healed, I started. So was probably 28, you know, when I really started trying again and I couldn't get pregnant at that point, I was finishing up fellowship, but if I'd gotten pregnant, I'd be in my career at that point, whenever the baby was born. So it was towards the end of my fellowship. I was around late 27. And so we started and, um, we went through those first five rounds of insemination didn't work. One of the doctors suggested in vitro, that was the next step. So we went through that. 
we switched to another doctor who we thought would be more aggressive, like a bigger facility here in Los Angeles. And that doctor suggested that the scar tissue, you know, the adhesions from the colon surgery might've been blocking the tubes. So in vitro would have been the way to do it. Great. So we did that. In all in all, I went through five rounds of in vitro and one canceled cycle, which is when you take the medications, but you don't produce enough follicles. So you can't have, you know, they can't extract the eggs. They can't do the retrieval. All in all, I went through five cycles. It was almost like a two year, you know, journey at that point. Yeah. That's what I was just wondering how long. Yeah. It was interested in is that women do so much, like you're going about your career. Yeah. Women at the same time in the back of their mind are dealing with this pregnancy with this completely radically changing body, because even though you're going through the cycles, I'm assuming you're getting injected with hormones and all sorts of stuff to prep your body. Yeah. I was injecting myself, right? Because most women will inject themselves or their husband will help or something. My husband was not a needle fan, so I just (laughs) did it myself. But yeah, you go through and, you know, there's specific instructions and it's like, you know, I, I used to think to myself, I'm not the first person who's gone through this. And I'm certainly not going to be the last person who's gone through this. You know, I'd met a lot of women in online support groups who had been going through fertility for years, like way longer than I had been and much older than I was. It's not as common to see 27, 28 year olds on a fertility journey, especially with no history of things like PCOS and endometriosis and things like that. You know, my case was a little bit unique in that I was probably one of the younger people on my forum, my online forum for support. But for me, and maybe this is because I've been someone who's lived with chronic illness for the last 20 years, I didn't think it was hard per se. What I thought was hard was when you would go take that pregnancy test after a cycle and it would be negative. (laughs) And then it's like, you just put your body through this, you know, your finances through this. And it's like, it's taking thousands of dollars. And literally it feels like putting in the toilet and flushing. Like it's literally, that's what it feels like. And so I remember we were coming up on the last round and this was like, we were out of money at this point. And so, you know, my ex-husband said, this is our last round and we need to be as aggressive as possible. Up until then we were transferring two embryos every cycle and hoping that just like one would take, we didn't have any frozen. And so we went in, we had four embryos that were viable for transfer. He looked at the doctor and he was like, put them all in. And the doctor was like, no. I can't do that. She's 29 years old. You know, it's very risky. She's too young. You could be pregnant with all four. And he was like, put all four of these effing embryos in her Mm. or we will find someone else to do it. Like we are out of money. Like this is our last shot. And he was like, well, you know, you're going to have to sign something that says if you get pregnant with all four that you're going to have to do selective reduction. And he was like, oh my God, I don't care. I don't care. Put all four of them in. We're done. And so we transferred all four. We didn't do any pre-genetic testing. I said, like, we're done with tampering with these embryos. Like, whatever we get is what we get. We put all four in and I went home. And this is the craziest thing. So after you go through for infertility and you go through in vitro, you have very specific instructions to go home and you have to lay flat or as flat as you can for, I think it's like three days. Okay. Kind of take it easy. But they want you to lay down for like three days. Can you days. get some boxed wine or I don't know. <laughs> Netflix. Like it's like a Netflix three days hall pass to just lay in bed. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because my ex-husband worked, he took me over to my mom's house and my mom was really great at just letting me lay around and taking care of me. After we did this procedure early in the morning, we did the transfer and he drove me over to my mom's house and he left to go to work. 
And so I was going to stay at my mom's for the next three days. And he, he was going to come and stay there with me, but he had to go to work. And I'm laying on the couch, not 10 minutes goes by. And I hear her yelling for me from outside. I get up and she's like calling me, like, come here. And she knows I'm supposed to be laying down. So I get up and I go outside and my mom is laying on the concrete and she can't move. And she's like, call 911, call 911, I can't move. So she had fallen down some steps outside and hit her head really badly on the concrete. She had fractured her spine and had a brain injury. Oh my God. I remember I got down on the concrete with her to lay down because I wasn't supposed to be standing up. Uh Like all I'm thinking is, oh my God, he's going to kill me. I'm not supposed to be standing up. And he just told me this was our last try. And like, you know, my mom can't move and she's paralyzed. And so I got on the concrete and the ambulance came and they were like, uh, who's the patient? And I was like, mm-hmm. her, she can't move. And I was supposed to be laying down because I just went through, you know, in vitro and I called him up and he turned around off the freeway and came back and he went to the hospital with her and I stayed laying on the couch. You know, it was interesting because that was the time I actually got pregnant, right? And nothing went as it was supposed to. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Good is in the details has talked about maternity. We support moms. So new moms-to-be or nursing moms or friends and family members, check out Kindred Bravely. Kindred Bravely is a premium maternity and nursing brand that makes it easy for mothers to find functional, stylish, and comfortable clothing. Since launching in 2015, Kindred Bravely has grown into a sisterhood of moms who help each other transition from the bump to the breast and beyond. Kindred Bravely is here for moms no matter where they are in their motherhood journey. Their mission is a comfortable bra in every nursing mother's wardrobe. I mean, that's a must-have. They have premium, super soft fabrics, including bamboo and organic cotton. They're supportive, wire-free bras for a variety of sizes, including special busty sizing for E through I cups. They have bras for nursing, pumping, or both at the same time. They have sports bras, sleep and comfort bras, versatile everyday bras, and more. They have ultra-comfortable bras, undies, sleepwear, loungewear, and activewear. They have bump-friendly tops and bottoms. They have nursing-friendly dresses, tanks, and tees. Ooh, those are essential. They have beautiful, flattering labor and delivery gowns. No more itchy hospital gowns. Another must-have. Save 20% on your purchase when you use discount code DETAILS20 on kindredbravely.com. And I'll link that in the show notes. And back to the show. Okay, that was the time that literally we didn't do anything the way that we were supposed to. And I had followed the rules every cycle. Okay, and I'm talking about Gwen from like the rules. Okay, so (laughs) I don't know like how freely you want me to speak. But like, so for example, you go for it. Okay. So for example, even before you go in, right, the partner needs to go in and provide the sperm sample. And they tell you before the cycle, no jacuzzis, don't drink alcohol, don't smoke weed. Like these are just things that slow the sperm down. Okay. I think it was a Monday that was my transfer and all that stuff. I come home on Sunday and that mother effer is sitting in the jacuzzi like freaking Hugh Hefner with like his 20 best friends at our house, drinking, smoking weed, like hanging out with his friends, my like super successful, you know, husband (laughs) and like living it up. And I'm like, dude, we have an IVF thing tomorrow and you're supposed to give your sperm. They said, none of that is allowed. And here I'm injecting my body with all of these hormones and like, you're not following the rules. And he was like, screw the rules. I'm done. We've been doing this shit for like two years. (laughs) You know, like, I'm done. Uh So 
first, first and foremost, I'm like, well, your sperm is going to be slow because you already messed this up. And he's like, my sperm will be fine. And in all the tests we had, nothing was ever wrong with his sperm. <laughs> like, uh-huh. So that was already like one thing, right? So then we go in, we have four really healthy, great embryos. We have no idea what the gender is. And in all the other rounds, we had always picked a boy and a girl or, you know, whatever, however we could manipulate it to get what we wanted. So this time we're like, we're not touching them, no genetic testing, no gender selection, like nothing, just whatever we have, whatever we have. He's arguing with the doctor to put all four in. I sign the thing about selective reduction because that's what you have to do here in California, apparently. So I do that and I go home and my mom takes the tumble and she breaks her neck and has a brain injury. And I'm like up and at him because how can I lay down for three days at that point when my mother is in the hospital? Yeah. So she goes to the hospital. She ends up needing surgery, right? A fusion to fuse her neck back together. Months of rehab ends up falling again when she gets home, has another brain injury, like with a massive brain bleed. Oh no. Like this is through the time that I'm pregnant. So the whole time I was pregnant, basically my mother was in and out of the hospital for different types of rehab, physical rehab, not addiction, but you know, physical rehab, just learning to walk again and all of these things. So all the rules that you know, you were supposed to follow in the beginning of the in vitro journey for that particular cycle were like out the window. And it was the only time it actually worked. It was like the one time that it probably shouldn't have worked is the one time it actually did work. Was there anything that you binge watched while you were laying down? Do you um, remember? I had friends. I had a lot of friends come visit during that time that I was still like laying down at her house. I mean, remember, Gwen, this was 13 years ago at this point. I don't think we had now. I'm just yet. curious. I, I binged um, the show You. Oh, well, I mean, that's a great show to binge. Because <laughs> I was a high-risk pregnancy. So toward the end, I had to just, you know, lay down. And yeah. I ended up binging that very quickly. I thought that was great. I watched a lot of super bad, like these really like funny movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also watched a lot of like Law & Order, you know, things like that. There that we go. Were, on demand that you can get back then. Cause this was a long time ago. This was a long time ago. All right. So tell me about the day that you find out you have got twins. Yeah. I just had this feeling. I don't know how to describe it, but my whole life when I knew that I was going to be a twin mom and I'll tell you like, so my family is full of twins. My mom is an identical twin. So my mom's twin sister growing up, we were always really close. My mom's twin sister lived next door. Okay. So my aunt was the second mom to me and my mom's twin sister has identical twin girls too. Okay. So my cousins are identical twins. I think they're identical. They sure as hell look alike. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's like twins all over my family. And I just, I always thought I was going to have twin girls. There's very few boys in my family. My brother's the lone boy in amongst a lot of women. I go in and I was sure, I don't know. I just felt like we put four in, I'd be really surprised if I had less than two. And I just knew that I was going to be a twin mom. I don't know how to explain it. I just, when I saw myself as a mom, I just always saw twins. I don't know. And so I went in and, you know, they saw one heartbeat and they saw the other heartbeat. And I knew that this was the pregnancy that was going to stick, that this was the pregnancy that was going to work. And I just like, I don't know. I just knew it in my heart. And at the time I actually thought that it was two girls. Okay. So, Mm -hmm. so we go in and as the weeks go on, you know, you can start seeing the genders if you want. And so we go in and boys, you can often see before girls. I remember we went in and they said, well, baby B is definitely a boy. And I was like, that can't be right. Like I only, we only make girls in my family. Like that can't be right. 
Can you check again? Because I'm thinking if it's two boys, I'm going to have to do this again because I am meant to have a girl. Like, how can I have a girl? <laughs> it's the only thing that's going through my mind is that can't be right. Check again, check again. And it was I don't know, three weeks later that finally baby A turned around and they were like, oh, that's a girl. And I was like, okay, so we have the best of both worlds here. So, you know, but for three weeks, I was freaking out that I might have two boys. And not that two boys would have been terrible because now being a mom that has one of each, I actually think two boys would have been lovely. Let me just preface that by saying I now have a almost teenage girl uh-huh. <laughs> and the lovely, you know, things that come with that. So <laughs> I think either way, children are wonderful. I could see the benefit in having two boys, two girls, but I was definitely freaking out at the time. What kinds of things were, you know, that you were learning about yourself as you were going through your pregnancy? And then also what was your work life like? Oh, my work life was, okay. So <laughs> I had just accepted a job at a big hospital here in LA. I did not tell them during the interview process that I was going through in vitro because, you know, it hadn't worked so many times that I didn't feel the need to disclose that. So I had literally just accepted a job. I had just gotten the phone call. Like, I think it was, I remember getting the phone call that my pregnancy test was positive, literally hours later, the call offering me the job at oh this big hospital. And so I said to the woman on the phone from HR that I wanted to be fully transparent and let her know that just hours before I got a call that I'd had a positive pregnancy test and, you know, that historically I'd had those before, but, you know, they hadn't stuck and they hadn't worked. So I wasn't necessarily banking on it, but this is the situation. And, you know, I didn't say it was planning it or anything. I just said, this is the situation. And she was very cool and said, like, congratulations and don't worry, we'll figure it out if you want the job, it's yours. And I was like, yes, I want the job. Uh, This is my first job coming out of fellowship. So my first like real paid job as a neuropsychologist. And so I'd been in school for like a hundred years, Gwen, at that point, (laughs) and not a real job yet. Hey, I I get that. (laughs) 30 years old. Yeah, I was 30 years old at the time. So I took the job. And so I, you know, I took the job. So during this time, I was, I didn't have, I was very thankful. My Crohn's was totally in check when I was pregnant didn't have any problems. I went off of all of my medications because I didn't want to be on medications while I was pregnant. Like your body just does this wonderful natural thing where it honestly takes care of you and protects you and your babies while you're pregnant. So I didn't need medications. It was wonderful. And I didn't have a ton of, you know, morning sickness. If anything, I was more sick at night. So I could work and work okay. Ended up developing gestational diabetes, which super fun. And because of the Crohn's, I was a high risk pregnancy. So I was monitored pretty frequently, but you know, I had a very specific diet. I met with a nutritionist through the OBGYN's office and, you know, had certain things I had to eat at certain times and, you know, things like that. But I would say like, relatively speaking, I had a pretty easy pregnancy. I had gained a tremendous amount of weight going into the pregnancy. Um, so during the fertility journey, those like two years of going through that, I'd gained about 30 pounds. Um, Mm. Yeah. Those fertility drugs will do that. (laughs) Um, So I gained about 30 pounds going in. And then throughout the pregnancy, I'd gained about 40 more pounds with the two babies. So there were some things that happened to my body. Obviously during the pregnancy, I started to look, I mean, I started to show really early, like when you have twins, it's not like you can hide it for that long. So I would say by nine or 10 weeks, jeans did not fit, you know, certain things before, like I couldn't button, like I could get them over my hips. I couldn't button. One day I was sitting in the elevator 
at work and I, I was seeing patients. I was working a full-time schedule. And one time I was in the elevator at this big hospital, right? And this woman looks at me and I was like, maybe five to six months pregnant. And she's like, wow, you must be due any day now. Oh God. And I like had this moment where I was, okay, how am I going to respond? And I was like, actually I'm only three months along, but I have 10 babies in there. <laughs> and like, she looked at me like I was, you know, the octo mom. And I was thinking like a stupid comment gets as stupid of a response, right? You don't say that to another woman. Yeah. I'm no, you should never comment on a woman's body ever, ever, oh ever. Oh my God. It was like, and another woman said this to me, like, you must be due any minute. And I was like, ew, like, no, I, you know, I was only like five or six months along, but I was already had a big belly, you know, and it was a freakishly weird, huge belly. But as the pregnancy went on, it was harder and harder to work because A, I drove a decent amount of time on the freeway. The steering wheel just got further and further away, right? Like, yeah. so there's that. And then secondly, I see patients, a lot of what I do involves sitting down. It was getting harder to sit for that long. It was a lot of weight to sit. And so that got harder until the end when I literally looked like a freak show the night before I delivered, which I didn't know was the night before I delivered because it wasn't planned. I remember we went to Costco because we were going to buy a camera because we didn't have like a you know normal camera. And this was before iPhones, by the way. So didn't have a camera phone. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so we were going to get a camera. I remember when we went, my ex-husband said to me, like, there's so many people were like looking at me and we were like, like I was wearing a, a light blue tank top with black sweatpants that were just like wide leg. And he said to me, Jen, you are more popular than if Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie were here right now. Like people can't stop staring at you because I was just, my stomach was freakishly huge. Like if I showed you pictures of that last day, it's like, wow, that is a big belly. And people would stop and be like, oh my God, like when are you due? Like tomorrow? And I'd be like, I don't know. Like I've got another four weeks, but who knows? I was 36 weeks at that point. So it's really, it's incredible what, you know, what your body can do in that relatively short period of time. It is a short period of time. Okay. Wait, I'm dying to know this one. What is it when the babies kick? Like, are they like sparring with each other? And you're telling me like, what does that, cause I know with one baby, it looks kind of bizarre to see the kicking and everything. So what did that look like for you? No, it, so they're in, well, fraternal babies are in their own sacks. Right. Oh, so okay, okay, they're, okay. In, they're in their own bags. Right. So Dylan was over here, you know, over on my right side and like up under my rib cage and he was breech. So I had a head up in my ribs and a tush sort of sticking out of my stomach on the side. And then Ella was normal, right. With a head down below and a tush up here, <laughs> the kicks were like different ways, you know, cause the mm -hmm. feet were different ways, like a pair of shoes, you know, how the shoes come in a box like this. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's how kind of my babies were. Everything was just in different ways. And one of them was, you know, Dylan was much smaller and he was even born much smaller. And so he didn't move as much. There were times when I would sort of poke to just make sure he would move back when he was bigger, you know, but if anything, like she moved the most and he just kind of didn't move that much. And then what's so interesting is even after they were born and even still to this day, the way they sleep is like, he stays in one spot and he doesn't move much. And she is like this, like, she's like an octopus and will just like move and flail around mm -hmm. now, even today, like in her sleep, you know, she's always been active in her sleep and he quiet. 
So it wasn't like a sparring match, but it looks pretty neat. Like when you see different things moving around. Like yeah. I remember one time yeah, late in the pregnancy when my daughter kicked me in the ribs and I was like, oh, okay. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. And then you just reminded me of when I was going through my pregnancy of one of my girlfriends telling me, she's like, you'll get to a point where yeah, you know, they're moving around and annoys you, but then later in the pregnancy, you'll poke because it's like, okay, wait, why aren't you moving? Why aren't you moving? You have to do that. So it's already on your mind. Of why yeah. aren't you moving? Well, and then I think it hits you at some point. Like for me, I thought to myself, I don't know if I'll ever be pregnant again, like towards the end of that. Yeah. And it, it was like, well, what if I'm never pregnant again? And this is like the last time I see this, right? And so you want to try and record it and like, you want to try and feel it as long as you can or see it as long as you can. Because for me, I never had any more kids. That was the last time I got to see it and experience it. And I, I think like towards the end, that realization kind of made me sad, like put my hands on it when they would move and just kind of watch it and just amazement, you know. I guess I'm curious about, you know, when we said like it's on the job training almost for pregnancy. Was there any kind of a shift in your body when you realized, okay, that's bizarre. I had no idea. Like, for me, yeah. something as simple as I got skin tags all over my neck and I did not know why didn't anybody mention that that is a pregnancy symptom and then also like flossing and all of a sudden it's just bleeding, a complete mess. Yeah. So everybody had to tell me like, oh yeah, that's normal. But at first it just seems so bizarre and I was just wondering, okay, what is going on here? So- I did not get the skin tags um, I and so I did not. Right. And you know, like a lot of women get like their nose kind of spreads, like, or their lips get really big. None of that happened to me. I had really bad pain in my pelvis and mm. like really bad. Like I thought it was debilitating and I kept thinking like something was wrong. Am I losing the babies? And I kept going to the doctor and she kept being like, that is your pelvis stretching to accommodate. Yeah you know, this, these growing babies. And I would like be, it was horrible. That pain of that stretching of the pelvis, which makes your hips wider to accommodate. That was for me, you know, one of the things early on that hurt a lot. But the other thing that I had never had before and only have ever had during pregnancy, which is shocking given, given my GI issues is acid reflux. So mm -hmm. actually the heartburn was the first symptom I ever had, even before my pregnancy test that I was like, that's weird. Like I had like chest burning mm -hmm. and thought, I've never had that. Like that feels awful. Looking back, it was like one of the first things that I realized something was different or off. So those were the only two things that like in the beginning changed a lot. I didn't have any of the other major, like I said, look, I had to go through so much to get pregnant, but I was pretty happy that the pregnancy actually by itself was relatively smooth. Hey, I completely get that. I mean, I know that for me, I mean, my pregnancy was a surprise. In fact, I just was feeling very tired. And what happened was one day I was going to the, I was going to get in the shower and I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror and I realized, oh, you look different. It did not even occur to me because I had been told my entire life that it wasn't a possibility. Did not even occur to me. So I took a pregnancy test. It came out positive. I call my friend who's a nurse. Hi, Caitlin, if you're listening to this. I'm like, How, what are the chances of these things are wrong? Like I'm, I'm middle-aged. And she says, okay, you have a positive pregnancy test. Yeah. You are missed a period and you had unprotected sex. I think you're probably pregnant. And um, when I went to the doctor for the ultrasound and he did it, he said, you're almost out of your first trimester. So oh my I, 
I know. I had no idea. But I was so, because I didn't know that I could, that even I did have a bit of a difficulty with the pregnancy. Like my, my ankles like actually would go over my shoes. They swelled so much. But then what I started to do was just take a picture of my ankles and I would just like send them to different people. Um, Like here are my ankles for the day. And I think even now that she's here, when she cries, she poops, people would be like, you don't sleep, you don't have your life. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I am so grateful that this little being is in my orbit. I'm so, so happy that I don't care about any of the other stuff. It doesn't matter to me. So what if you lose some sleep? It's true. You know what? I just, I just got a thing from Amazon, like the under eye roller, the, like the ice thing. I'm like, you know what? We can fix this. I don't need as much sleep. I'll just kind of put myself together because it's all worth it to have her here. It goes by fast too. And I know that sounds really cliche. By the way, I had horribly, horribly swollen ankles. <laughs> like the ankle swelling was real. Or how about like when you go to the gym and work out after you have babies and then you grab a jump rope and you pee yourself every time your bladder is weak because your pelvic floor is weak and no one told you about that one either. Um, But also no one sent you to physical therapy, you know, after you had babies to fix your pelvic floor, because that's also not part of like the traditional treatment, even though in other countries it is like, I feel like, you know, it's interesting that you say that like the, the women's body, there is no handbook, right. From not only just from pregnancy. I feel like there's a lot of great resources for puberty. Like as a mom who has a child going through that, two children going through that, there's a lot of great resources, books and stuff like that. Like there's the basics of what to expect when you're expecting. Okay. But there's like things that I didn't know from like, um, I remember like the supplements, like how many thousands of supplements are there? And I would get so overwhelmed with which ones do I take? Like there's so many and I don't want to take that many but like what brand and which one's the best? And is this one a scam? All of that, right? And then when I went to go register for baby gifts, you walk into Babies or Us or wherever you go, and that was it at the time. I remember there was a whole wall of bottles and I put the little gun down that you register for. I started crying and I left and I didn't come back until I could come back with a friend who already had kids because I was so overwhelmed with how many choices there were. And like, I wasn't going to pick the right one. And then what I realized afterwards is that the truth is that it's nearly impossible to pick the right bottle or nipple for your baby in case you can't breastfeed because you don't know what your baby will actually like until it's there. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's so many different things. Like I tried to breastfeed for as long as I could. And, you know, even just down to like the right pump or like There's, I mean, yes, people can make recommendations, but when you try to do it on your own, you know, there's no good handbook. And now look, when I was pregnant 13 years ago, there weren't like a ton of websites with information, but I'll take it a step further, Gwen, because last year I had a hysterectomy, which wasn't planned. It was emergent. My body started feeling really weird about three and a half, four months later. So I was getting the hot flashes and I was getting weight and I was starting to get depressed. I had zero libido all these things were happening that are not like me. I just had no energy. Like I could not wake up in the morning. Like I felt awful. Like I really felt awful. And it was like, what the hell is wrong with me? And I kept going to the doctor, my general practitioner and saying, something's wrong. I think it's my thyroid. I think, and everything was fine. And finally he just ran every test you could imagine and called me and was like, your estradiol is like below 15. You're in menopause. So I had a hysterectomy where they kept my ovaries in so that I wouldn't fall into menopause. But There are some cases of women who will go into menopause because your ovaries rely also on blood flow from your uterus. 
And when they remove the uterus, there is a chance that your ovaries won't get sufficient blood flow and then you will move faster towards menopause. Well, I have literally scoured the internet and books for like the right combination of hormones. And there's so many people who are, you know, they'll give you opinions on bioidentical hormones and whether they're good for you or whether they cause cancer or whether you should take no hormones and just tough it out. Or there's so many opinions, okay, that even like all of it is so confusing and so overwhelming. And I have gone through, I've been on hormones. I ended up needing another surgery because I, you know, I developed ovarian cysts from that. And and I'm on nothing now and I'm back to square one. And every night it's like I lay in bed and I'm looking at natural supplements for hot flashes, not natural supplements for this or that, because there is no handbook for the female's body. And when I think the reason for that, Gwen, is because everybody's experience is a little bit different, really. Mm. I think that's one of the problems is that our bodies are so unique and so awesome that there simply cannot be one handbook because our pregnancies are different, our puberties are different, our sexual experiences are different. Our menopauses are different. Our experiences are just as different. Like maybe we're that unique and that special that there just can't be one resource. I mean, there's some general resources, but it's not sufficient enough. Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I reached out to you and I wanted to even do this kind of mini series is to just like, let's just, let's talk about it. Let's talk about women's bodies. Let's talk about what women's bodies go through. I yeah. I mean, but at the end of the day, despite all of these things that our bodies go through, the one thing I could tell you is that we are super resilient. I yes. mean, our bodies have made babies, cooked them up to term, spit them out and went back to normal, <laughs> like, or as normal yeah. as you can get. I mean, like we are resilient creatures and, um, I'm always amazed by my body. I try not to be too hard on my own body. And whenever I like touch my kids, I'll touch my son's ears because I love his ears. They're so soft. He's like, stop touching my ears. And I'm like, no, no, no. I made that. I cooked them. I made them. I actually (laughs) made those with my body. So I'm allowed to touch anything I want on your body because I made those with my own body. Superhuman. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm amazed by what our bodies can do. And the fact that there's no handbook maybe makes it a little more confusing, but more exciting. And yeah. that's why we have each other, you know. Exactly. To- I spent so much time in my youth being self-conscious of my body. And it honestly wasn't until going through a difficult pregnancy and then having my daughter that I have the self-esteem now that I wish I had had when I was, tw- when I was in my 20s. Yeah. But now it's because of, like you said, I'm like, dude, I cranked out a baby when I was not supposed to. And I worked hard to get my body back. And I am feeling, I don't care about my age. Like I feel, I feel so much better. I feel amazed. I spent so much time being upset at the way my body wasn't so self-conscious about trying to live up to a standard. And now I think cranking out a baby has made me think, oh no, this is what my body can do. I'm not going to look at it as trying to fit some other standard, but to be happy with, thank you for doing this, for allowing me to have this type of existence. Yeah. It takes a while to get there. It takes maturity and experience and years more than anything. Yeah, It happens though. It happens as you get older. Jenna, thank you. Let's do a quick plug of your business. Well, um, yeah. So aside from my career, I run a big Rodan and Fields business and I love what I do. It started off as just a side gig and over the last eight years has grown to a pretty significant business. So now I feel 
you know, super blessed to be able to work with thousands of people, do that from home nearly full time and alongside my other career. So yeah. And what is your Instagram so that people can get in touch with you? Yes, I am just Jenna, J-U-S-T-J-E-N-A, just Jenna. Jenna, it's so good to see you. It's always so good. We need need to see each other in person. I would love that. Okay. All right. We're going to do that. (laughs) With all of our friends. Good is in the Details is produced by Dr. Gwendolyn Dolsky and Rudy Salo. If you would like to get in touch or if you'd like to sponsor a show, you can email us at goodisinthedetailspod at gmail.com or find us on Instagram, goodisinthedetailspod, and on Facebook, goodisinthedetailspod. If you'd like to support the show and get extra content, we also have a book club. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash goodisinthedetails, and I will link that in the show notes. Okay, much more coming up for season three. Can't wait to share it. Until next time, bye.